Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Embracing Enough podcast. I've always said that one thing is for sure, it's that women and girls have some incredible stories to tell. And that's what we do here. We share our stories in the hope that it allows others to feel seen, to feel heard, and hopefully less alone. This is your host, Dina Skippa, founder of Enough Labs, and I am so excited that you're here. I'm an empowerment coach, gender equality advocate, motivational speaker, and a goal-crushing boss. And this show is your guide to all things confidence, mindset, growth, and resilience, all in the spirit of helping you to embrace how enough you truly are. Myself and some incredible guests will be coming to you each week to drop some gems. The goal is to offer you the space in creating a vision that supports you in your relationships, creating work-life balance, and be more aligned with your truth. Our mission is to help you do all of this while embracing how enough you already are and embodying the essence of joy, abundance, and permission every step of the way. Consider me your personal coach through these episodes and think of me as your confidant, your ally, and most importantly, your sister friend. Are you ready? Let's get started. All right, we are back with another very special episode of Embracing Enough, hosted by your girl, Dina. And I have got to tell you, the person who I am sitting across from right now is by far one of my favorite guests to date. And that trumps the episode that I recorded with my two siblings, my brother and my sister. I am joined today by no other, the infamous <laughs> Rocco Skippa, a.k.a. my dad. I'm so glad that you're here, dad. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I'm so excited. So let me think. You're not the first man to be on the podcast, but I think your perspective is very unique, one that we haven't had really on the show. And I've shared with you, this podcast has been all about, you know, creating a platform for women and girls to share their stories, because I think you and I are both storytellers, so you understand the power of stories. And I think when people can hear other people's stories, it helps them heal certain parts of themselves. It helps them to feel less alone. And so I actually start off every single episode with just kicking off with asking each guest to say what their story is. So I can't figure, I can't think of a better way to start. So why don't you let us in? I know your story, but why don't you tell us who is Rocco Skippa? All right. Actually, my real name is Rocco Sheepa. I was stupid enough to Americanize it many years ago. And I hope you realize that on this podcast, you're getting it for free. And it's the last one you'll ever get for free because I want to get paid after this. Not a problem. But, I just uh, got to get those advertisers okay. out there. But, um, well, it was very kind words to, of you, you know, to give to me. But I'm as proud of you as any father could ever be of his daughter. And um, still a pain in the ass, by the way. But not as much of a pain in the ass as my other daughter, who's really a pain in the ass. But um, I, I was born in Italy. I came to America when I was about eight years old. I don't remember a lot about Italy, but I was always a practical guy. When I, was, when I knew I was going to come to Italy, I stopped going to school because I said, that's kind of stupid. You know, I mean, I'm not going to use it anymore. So my uncle Joe was there, and I used to tag along with him, um, tag along with him to work. You know, I was living with my uncle Joe and, and my aunt, and because um, I had come back from uh, Venezuela when I was very young, I went to Venezuela. I got sick in Venezuela. And now, hold I, on. Venezuela, you had visited because? Because my mother and father were living there. Right. I'm sorry. My father was living there. And my mother joined them, and, and I went with them. And my sister, my older sister, stayed behind. At that time, we were told that, you know, it was a wonderful thing to, because we wanted to educate her and everything. But it was actually a convenience thing for my mother. And my sister still has a resentment because it was basically an orphanage, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's sad, but, um, but other than that, my mother was a wonderful person. My father was the best human being I've ever met in my life. And the second best human being I've ever met in my life is my uh, older sister, Maria. They were just exceptional, exceptional people. 
And especially my sister, it was very hard for me to uh, live up to what she did. You know, when I was in grammar school, my sister was a straight A student. I was always a C, B student, except in math. And I want to say that I was the best math student in, um, in elementary school at St. Lazarus. Without a doubt, I was the best. But uh, beyond that, I was a very average student. I wasn't interested in school. It was always like action. I couldn't sit still. I got bored easily and so forth, you know. But, um, you know, and as I went along, I grew up in a predominantly Italian neighborhood. But an Italian Italian like myself and an, an American Italian, two different things. I was basically, you know, and not something that I'm proud of, but I was ashamed that my parents were, uh, spoke, <coughs> excuse me, spoke broken English. I should have been emulating my father, who was the most decent, most wonderful human being I've ever met in my life. But I didn't, I didn't respect him because he went to work for a living, worked hard, saved $10 a week or whatever he could. And they became very successful at, at that kind of lifestyle, you know. My youngest sister was born in America and they didn't have insurance or money. And they owed the um, uh, Mass General or whatever hospital they were at money and they paid $25 a month until it was, it was paid up. Um, my parents were uh, hardworking. They, uh, they believed in America and especially my father. And they went to what East Boston High School would take the, would walk down to Warren Heights Station and, and uh, take a bus to Brook Street. And they would go up to East Boston High School to learn how to speak English so they could pass their uh, citizenship papers on the day that they were eligible. That's when they went in. And then we became citizens because of them. And um, this is something, as I look back, I'm very proud of. But as it was going on, it was going, you know, why would I look up to my father who probably had the same $20 bill you know, that day and after he died, he had the same $20 bill or something. When I could emulate a guy that was a bookmaker or a loan shark and they had 7000 in their pocket and it was basically their bank account. You know, they, they had nothing else, but they had a girlfriend on the side of their wives and they had a, uh, a Cadillac, you know, and that's what we looked up to because that's, you know, that's the way we were, you know, and... Uh, they had influence too. Yeah, right. They had influence mm -hmm. on us, you know, and it was terrible, you know. But but that's you know it, it brings me back to a, a movie, The Bronx Tale, you know, when um, the young lad was looking up to uh, a gangster. That the guy was a tough guy, and uh, <clears throat> Robert De Niro, who played the father, says, "I'm the tough guy. I go to work." You know, like the true American hero, <laughs> is the uh, is the working guy, you know. I mean, they go out on a job they don't like, but they still go to support their family, to put food on the table and so forth. And I think that's lost in our, in our culture, you know, like, wow, who we look up to? Bill Gates, whatever. He turned out to be a scumbag. You know, let's look up to uh, Donald Trump and he has girlfriends on the side or, or a Mario Cuomo. These people are not people that to, to look up to, you know. Let's look up to somebody that gives back to society, that helps society, that uh, the school teachers. Nobody thinks well of the school teachers, but they're true American heroes, the nurses, and so forth and so on. And, uh, and that's what I missed in childhood. I should have been looking at that. And as the older I get, the more I, I look at these people and say, these are great heroes. You know, these are the heroes. And, you know, um, they, they don't do anything great. Like my father was a great man and never did anything great. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yeah, it does. But he did all the right things, all the right things. And and like I said, I, I grew up in an area where um, I was insecure. It was a, I had an inferiority complex with a superiority thing about me. Um, you know, um, I, I always wanted to succeed. I was always trying to run the programs and, and like sports and stuff. And, and this is what, you know, it was all about, you know. I was gonna show everybody I was better than them. I was born in Italy and I felt less than and I was gonna show everybody, you know, how good I was, you know. And I looked at what's success. Success is making money. You know, um, I chased my father's acceptance and I always had it. <clears throat> and uh, so I grew up, you know, I went to school, uh, I flunked out of Bentley College. 
Um, but I went into service, uh, you know, and the reason I went to service is because, you know, I, I, I got addicted to drugs, you know, and, and um, not a good thing, you know, so to be, to be that I knew my father would find me, what I do, I went into service and tried to run away from the problem, and the problem followed me. But I was able to get out of the service with an honorable discharge, even though I was a terrible soldier. And, um, you know, I was able to get out. And I went back to school because I wanted to make a difference. And I became a school teacher. And, um, and then, you know, I quit the drugs after I got out of the service. And I put five, six years into, um, into uh, the teaching profession. And I was a very good teacher, you know. And then I didn't take care of a problem that I had with drugs. And as soon as I had a setback, I went back to it, you know, and, um, you know, and, and, and it was a sad case, you know, and then I was able to kick the drug habit and um, I got married. I had three wonderful children. I had a good wife. Everything was good, you know, but I still had this great desire to succeed and succeed and make money. And I and I looked at what's success, making a lot of money. And boy, was I wrong. That's not success. Success is doing the right thing, um, you know, having your children look up to you. And I didn't have that, you know, um, and that's what ended up happening. And I went back to drugs and then, you know, and I was clean for 13 years, but I was still a jerk, you know. Again, money, 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 money. And then when I had no money and I had no nothing, that's all I had was me and there wasn't much of me. And, um, and that's when I started my journey to becoming a better person, you know. Um, you know, I was 42 years old. I was drug addicted. I went back, you know, I went back and, and started, you know, I lost my wife. I lost my children at the time. And then I found out what the important things in life. And I've been on a journey for of sobriety for 29 years, almost 30. And, um, and it's been a great journey. And I've gotten better every single year, you know, in my life that I've become a better person. And if I didn't get addicted to drugs, I don't think I'd be as good a person as I am today. And one of my daughters had a very difficult time in, in a similar situation, and she was able to have me there. And now she's got 19 years of a great journey, and she's becoming a better person every single day. And I'm no longer, and I'm still motivated, I'm still business-oriented, I'm still trying to make money, but that's not who I am. If I lost everything today, I still would have me, and I'm a better person today, um, you know, than I ever was. You know, and like uh, I joke around with my daughter, I says, I'm not as good today as I was, no, I'm better today than I was yesterday, but not as good as tomorrow. Right. And, and it's a journey that if you don't keep getting better and better every day, you know, you, in my opinion, you perish, you know. Mm -hmm. you got to work every day at just doing the next right thing because that's what my father did. He didn't realize it because, you know, he wasn't educated, but he was brilliant. My mother wasn't educated. She was smarter. But, in, but as far as a compassionate human being, my father was the greatest of all time. And, you know, people say Tom Brady's the GOAT. The GOAT is my father. And that's about it for now. I think what's, I mean, I can say without the, without a shadow of a doubt that I get my work ethic from you and mom. And you absolutely have your work ethic from Nani and Papa. And what I think is so interesting is that it takes perspective to be able to look back on the things that you could have appreciated in the moment. Born to two parents who immigrated, who, who understood the value of hard work, integrity, doing the right thing by people. These these two people weren't terribly flashy people, but I think they were the classiest people to walk the earth. Yeah. And one of the stories that I always love that you've told, I think a million times over the course of my life, is is you know, and it's 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 a testament to the values that were present in that house, even if you couldn't appreciate it in the moment, was tradition was family and Nani would send you to school with what's with, tell the story well, well, <laughs> how would she send I you was, to school you know I always felt that like I was deprived because we would have 
fantastic meals every single night, you know, except one day a week. One day a week, my mother would cook something that nobody liked, you know, it was just like her way of punishing us. She made the worst coffee in the world, and my sister and I would like make believe to drink, and then when she turned her back, we tossed it. But my mother would send me to school with three giant sandwiches with Italian bread, and I thought I was deprived because one day I would have like, um, um, like steak pizza all, and the next day I would have um, prosciutto with, with imported provolone, and then I would have veal cutlet sandwiches, and it was always three of them, and they were gigantic, you know? Why did she have to send you with three sandwiches? She it thinks was, you're going to go hungry. She wanted to make sure that I didn't, you know, like, I wasn't anorectic because I was real skinny at that time. And uh, and I would eat the three sandwiches, but then my friend Gene Devolio, who was like a close friend of mine, and uh, his mother would give him like peanut butter and jelly, and I would trade one of my sandwiches for one of his, you know? And I thought I was getting the best end of the deal. <laughs> and other times he would have lettuce, tomatoes, cheese, and mayo. And we never had mayo in the house. We never had mustard in the house. Ketchup was unheard of, you know? And it's like... Nothing you know, but quality, but could, oh, yeah, didn't want yeah, it. Absolutely. On, on, I, was, I was mad because we didn't have hot dogs and beans on a Saturday night like everybody else. I had to eat, like, steak. You know, and it was... You know, it, it, uh, on a Sunday dinner, it was fantastic. My father was a better cook than my mother, you know, and the gravy I appreciated, that that, that I can attest to, mm. but this is it, my father believed that we, I couldn't play Little League Baseball because my father said, no, we all eat together, and in today, it's all missed, we had dinner mm -hmm. together seven days a week, you know, and um, my father was just a no-nonsense guy, you know, he, he said what he meant, and he, <laughs> he meant what he said, you know, and it was like, Great, great. I had, I messed up many times with drugs and stuff like that, and I'd love to give the excuse that, you know, like my father was a scumbag, because I know people with similar stories than me, and their parents were bad, you know, I mean, what's my excuse? Well, my father was a wonderful human being, my mother was wonderful, my extended family was wonderful, we had a wonderful childhood, my sister was great, my other sister was great, you know, and, uh, you know, well, you know, I guess I guess I had a hard time, and I didn't. I never realized it. My mother and father were struggling. I never knew it. You know, my older sister did. You know, but I never knew it. And I've been so blessed. You know, with a situation of who my parents were, who my children are, what they turned out to be. You know, I'm divorced, but you know, I'm blessed that you know she took care of the kids when I didn't. You know, I mean. But you know, I'm, to, I had all the benefits. To that point, though, we were talking before we, we hit record, and you can grow up with the best of circumstances, and there's still something lingering that is telling you something isn't right, or it's not enough, or you're not enough. Right. Something is sort of tugging at you, and, and you, look at, you look at the problems today of how many people fall to, to drug addiction, and... Right born into the best of circumstances, it, it doesn't really matter. So, I mean, I talk about girls who, you know, women and girls who struggle with feeling enough, but this is not unique just to women. No, it, but that's what people mistaken, you know, like it's only women or girls that mm -hmm. go through. And what women and, and, and young ladies go mm -hmm. through is very sad because you're perceived to be, oh, you got to look a certain way, you got to do this, you got to do that. And it's all crap. Mm -hmm. Then you have idiotic parents Okay, that should be like pistol whipped or something, and we turn around. Oh, I, I know I'm not politically correct on that one. And uh, who turn around and said, "I expect nothing but A's from my students." Who the hell are they? To you know, what you should expect from your children is the best they can do. You can't do better than the best you can do. You can't even do it. that. You don't even come close. You do the best you can with what you have, mm -hmm. and um, I've seen it so many times. You know. Like in my case, and no fault of my sister. My sister was the perfect human being, in my opinion. I don't. I think we're Catholic, so we went to confession. My sister used to. That was the only time she ever told lies in the confession, because you know you had to tell the priest you did something wrong. And my sister, in my opinion, never did anything wrong. Mm -hmm. People say, "How did you get along with your sister?" I says, "Beautifully. She tells me what to do, and I do it." I mean, it's very simple. And my sister goes, "You're right. You're good." And. Um, but my sister, the nuns would say, you're not as good as your sister. Right. You're, 
Your sister's so nice. She said, so what did I do? I lashed out and became the class clown. You know, I was constantly after school, you know. I mean, I thought school went from uh, 8 to 5. I didn't know it ended at 2.30. You know, it was constantly after school. But that constant nagging feeling and the messaging that you're getting from teachers or people at the school who are saying you're not smart enough or uh, when you're looking for a sense of belonging in your neighborhood and you're not American enough, it's it's constantly being mirrored back to you. It, it wasn't, it came... It wasn't so much that they said I wasn't smart enough. They said I was uh, wasting my talents, that mm -hmm. I was smart enough. Mm -hmm. But I just, I wasn't interested in history. I was interested in math. I wasn't interested in in biology or science. You I and I share that. In math. We get bored you easily. Know, and, and, and that's the situation. But people without, look, the nuns did what they could do. I mean, to this day, I think people say that the nuns beat you up. It says all the time. They said, you resentful? He says, no, I kind of deserved it. You know, I was a wise ass, you know. It was always, you know, like um, anything for a laugh, you know. And uh, I'll tell you a quick story, which was funny with the nuns, is that I thought I had a wonderful singing voice. When I was growing up, there was an opera singer called Mario Lanza. And I thought I was as good. I really did. So I, so we, so every year at Christmas time, the, the, the kids at the parochial school would... Um, practiced a couple of hymns and stuff like that and like and one person was off key or two people were off key and I'm saying guys stop it you know now I'm like trying to be like you know controlling idiot that I've always been my whole life and I said hey let's stop this crap we need to focus you know and the nuns walking around all of a sudden sister Justinian who was as tough as could be slapped me and Anthony Palladino upside the head and it was us it was shocking to me because I really thought I had a shot to be the next Mario Lanza, you know? I mean, I was like really headed for a singing career, you know? And um, and then the nun grabbed me and, you know, and, and she grabbed me and Anthony. Anthony was a big kid and banged both our heads together and told us that if we, we were the original Millie Vanilli, who if you... I know, the, people, I get the reference. You, you know, did, you know, like, did lip singing, you know? I lip singed in 1963, you know? And the nun said, if I hear anything coming out of your voices, I will beat you in front of your parents mercilessly. And I looked at her and says, yes, no problem, sister. Because she would have done it. She would have hurt us. But know? here's the thing what I love is the self-assuredness that you had. And the thing is... I think for people who may not know you that well, just like me, we come across as very extroverted and perhaps people would never guess that we struggle with insecurity, confidence. Um, and I don't, I, I'm not going to say I'm sitting across from you and thinking that you struggle with confidence. There's, but there's a conversation that has been, at least for me, and you know that it's been inside of me and where I struggle. And I'm just curious, like, what would people say about you if they, you know, if they had to answer who, if, well, what they think what of What they would say is that I was very confident, I was cocky, I was this, and they couldn't be further from the truth, mm. okay? Because with the cockiness, it was like a lot of insecurities, you know. Uh, was I going to meet the right girl and be married by the time I'm 25, 26? Am I going to be this? There's so many, people think that because you grow up a boy that you have all these, look, Nobody gets up in the morning and says, well, let me see, what's missing in my life? Drug addiction. Mm -hmm. So I think I'll shoot a bag of heroin so I can really, you know, um, make my life, you know, complete. Mm -hmm. No. People go to that because of insecurities in my belief. Mm -hmm. You know, if you felt good about yourself, why would you do something destructive? So I didn't feel, evidently, I didn't feel good about myself. Now, I have no intentions of ever doing it because I feel so good about myself and I'd like the person that I see in the mirror. I was in a detox and there was a woman, Betsy Rice, wonderful human being, helped save my life. And she said, you know, Rocco, you can write a perfect plan for everybody to get sober, for everybody but one person in this room. And, and, and that was, and she says, it's you. And she told me, you know, you're going to go back to Boston and you're going to die. And I said, yep. And I didn't have a way. And luckily, her and this big-time football player who tried to kill himself put me in a in a halfway house, and um, I was able to start my journey into recovery. But it was somebody like Betsy who says, "Look in the mirror, and say you're worth it." And and it's been a long process for me to 
And I'm not even close to where I should be. I'm like maybe 32%. I don't know. But all I know is that to the day I die, I'm going to try to become a little better person. Um, you know, before, if I was in the middle of a business deal or any transaction, nothing would stop me. If one of my children calls me, I drop it. Because what's important? Like I told my son one day, if you look at me as an ATM machine at that time, I was doing extremely well. I says, and I failed you, and I apologized. If money is your motivation, it is what you're all about, you failed in life. You know, um, if I lost every penny I have, lost pieces of property, I'm in pretty good position property-wise, so-so with money-wise. You know, if I lost everything, and the, I still have me, and I'm a pretty good guy. I look in the mirror and I say, yep, you're worth it, you know? Am I, would you like to use, am I enough? To me, it's a lifelong struggle. Mm -hmm. You're going to, you're going to be, once you stop improving what you are in life, you know, now, now it's like, you know, yeah. it's just what it is. Let's take a break here. We'll be right back. This is, I told, I'm telling you guys, this is going to get good. All right, we are back. And over the break, we were talking about uh, compensation for future episodes. And, and Dad, I got to be honest, like, I don't have a budget for it yet. <laughs> but um, no, to be to be totally serious for a moment, like, we can't overlook the gratitude that I have for 29 years of sobriety that you that you you have um you're you're an example to so many people so many people look up to you and just what you shared in the first segment is you know Betsy Rice who you talk about all the time and telling you to look in the mirror and say you're worth it to me never having met her I feel like that was the linchpin for you in order to really commit to it. Because like you, I can definitely relate. Although not having struggled with drug addiction, I definitely can come up with a perfect plan for everyone else, except for me. <laughs> so, I mean, I just want to acknowledge that in this moment. And, you know, 29 years, it's not every day you meet people with that many years of sobriety. So I celebrate you every day, not every year, every Thank day you. in that. Um, well, it wasn't so, just Betsy Rice. Right. I mean, it's also, you had a lot to do with no, it, too. No, 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 I think I probably had the least to do with it, <laughs> believe it or not. You know, it wasn't just Betsy Rice. It was also this uh, six-foot-six gentleman that was a professional football player and professional basketball player, Stan. And uh, he's the one that took me by, he says, come on, you're going to the halfway house. And didn't give me a choice. And he was, you know, a great guy. Without him, I'd be dead, too. And... Um, and one of the black kids would say, Stan doesn't like you. He, he hates white people. And, um, and Stan said, no, I just hate assholes. And Greg's an asshole. You know, and the guy was, he, he just, simple thing like taking me out for lunch or dinner one day, getting Chinese food with me, treating me like a person of respect. You know, and I'd like to say that once I got sober and clean and sober, that um, life went great. But it didn't. You know, it was a struggle. It was like I looked at other people that were do, going through the same thing. Why? And I thought they were in a better position than me. And they never stayed clean and sober. So there were struggles. I mean, I lost my driver's license twice in sobriety. You know, nobody does that. You know, I, I'm unique in that situation. There were struggles. You know, I, I came back from, you know, and I started my, you know, um, recovery of drug addiction and my recovery into becoming a productive human being and things went well and then you know I, I hit a setback you know you have you have setbacks all the time what do you do with those setbacks um you know I had a sister-in-law that robbed me for a bunch of monies you know and I could have said well I'll pack it in oh my god poor is me but I had my sobriety I had my sobriety and when I couldn't drive a license I had people that helped me so I focused on that. I didn't focus on that, that my ex-sister-in-law robbed me for money because then that would be, you know, I'm whining, you know, and then stuff like that. So 
what I did. I, I moved on and moved on. And um, probably, um, you know, and I worked very hard. I, I, I built up, I had a golf course. I, I built a bunch of units and everything. And then in 2008, I mean, I was as broke as broke can be. I was like, I, I, I didn't have any money coming in. I had a golf course. What was yeah. happening in 2008, just for anyone who, who isn't in the housing market? It was going under. Right. The, housing the market. entire you know, housing market was... You know, it was a terrible housing mm -hmm. market. So your mother came in and, and started taking over the golf course, and we struggled, and, you know, she was making a little bit of money. And then I started just doing houses for somebody, you know, picking up 20, 25 grand doing a house, and, you know, and I worked my way back, and... Um, you know, in 2008, I was, uh, I couldn't afford to pay attention, let alone have money. And and I met a guy that I really never thought that I would hook up with, you know. Um, the guy, uh, people said, was a gangster and was this and was that. And he ended up being one of the most decent human beings in the world. And I remember saying, um, I had to go to my parents and borrow 100000 so I could get back in business. And my parents never turned their back on me. They just like absolutely believed in me and, you know, just wonderful human beings, you know. My father, I remember when I was drug addicted, said, if you want to do the right thing, I'll always be here. He couldn't understand it. And great words of advice, you mm -hmm. know. I mean, I could never, ever repay some people that were around me. You know, they, they were there for me. But I struggled and I worked hard and I worked my tail off. And even you didn't believe in me and nobody believed in me that I was going to bounce back. And I was able to through hard work, um, you know. And, and but what was going through your head in those moments of like, you know, the failure or the oh my god, I can't, I, can I catch a break? Like again, maybe the never light came, never came into my head. Wow. Never can I catch a break. I just knew that what I had to do every day was work hard and do the right thing, and I was going to be okay. I knew that I was going to be. Mm -hmm. Don't if I fight if, if it was like. Almost like throwing a five thousand piece puzzle into the air, and and wishing that it would come back perfectly, and that's what it did. But it was through hard work. Mm -hmm. I never said woe is me. I never said, you know, what can I do? You know, I just worked hard, worked harder, worked harder, and you know. But at the same time, I was getting better with my relationship for my children, from uh, my ex-wife, and stuff like that. And those those things are what I'm all about. Mm -hmm. I'm not a the money is the least important thing in my life. What is important, I mean, I'm obsessed with like making enough where I can take care of my children, so that way they, they don't have to struggle, they don't have to do that. But but it's not. But I know that I, your mother did a great job with you kids, and I think I helped towards the end, and you guys can take care of yourselves. So if I leave you nothing, hopefully I've left you educated and I've left you um, with with some. Um, work ethic that you're going to be fine it's just me it's my own insecurities mm. that makes me want to make sure that i have a lot of money to, to give to you guys mm. is it the most important thing no but it's important to me and like you know and i'm i'm 73 i don't feel like retiring i'm not going to retire because despite all of our pleas to you to just uh, what do you kids know <laughs> the bottom line is that i enjoy what i do and i work hard and, and if I hit the lottery for $500 million tomorrow morning, I'd still go to work. Yeah. You know. I want to tell a story that I hope I'm reciting correctly. Because, you know, in our family, we, we're definitely all oh, storytellers. Youth is wasted youth, on the young. Youth is wasted on the young. We knew it would come <laughs> back. All right. So, you know, in talking about the failures, the, there's there's some not-so-shiny moments that that are a part of your story like they're a part of everyone's story. One story that sticks out to me when one of those times that you didn't have your license, you know, we were living in separate towns with, with mom. And I recall a time that you didn't have anyone who could drive you. And you walked from Wakefield to Middleton to come see us. Really? Yeah. What was that done? <laughs> and it, it, what, it, to walk... Across three towns, you know, if anyone knows Massachusetts and North Shore, that that was probably like a two-hour walk. Really? 
And I also remember. I think you. I think you forget it. Didn't really go that way. You you misunderstood. What? I was in Middleton, mm -hmm. and your mother aggravated <laughs> me to death, and I walked. Was that the story? That's the story. And I walked from Middleton into <laughs> Reading. Okay, into Reading to go to a, like a type of meeting for my sobriety. Yeah. And um, and I I walked and I said, boy, was that stupid me doing that. So here's me trying to point and paint a, a shiny. Lens. I wasn't that nice, trust me. Okay. Well, the other part of this story that I remember, you know, when I when you were talking about Nani and Papa and the meals that they had growing up, when you were going through it and we would spend the weekends with you, you didn't have much. No. But you always, you know, you frying a burger in that small little, you know, that, frying pan was was enough. But that was uh, probably the greatest moments I had with you kids is that I didn't have enough money to take you out. And I would, and I'm probably one of the worst cooks of all time, but I cooked the burgers and I cooked some potatoes mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And, and, it w and it was a good thing. Yeah. And another thing I remember on Monday nights, me and, and Angelo would be watching the wrestling mm -hmm. and, and we'd play around and he would stay with me and, you know, and it, it, the best moments I had, I was so, and I you forget, that when Angelo was very, very young, mm -hmm. you know, and one of my, you know, I went through ups and downs, like, I don't know if anybody else will do it, but, um, but again, your failures are what helps you grow. Mm. And then your successes, you know, your successes aren't as great as you think they are, and your failures aren't as bad as you think they mm -hmm. are. And, uh, and that's what you got to look at. Yeah. You know, if, if people turn around and say, oh, I'd love to be Bill Gates. No, you wouldn't. There's a responsibility to being that wealthy. And what do you get? How can you? There's nothing that you can't have monetarily. And that's a price that I wouldn't want. I, I wouldn't want to be that wealthy. I'll never forget when I was in my mid-20s wanting so bad to get to my dream job. And I was so frustrated at every stage that I had to keep pushing and keep, you know. And I remember you telling me the advice where I was, I called you from DC and you were like, if you had it today, you wouldn't appreciate it. That's right. And it's so true. It's the journey that every yeah. single year, every single day that I, I kept fighting for it. Yeah. When I finally got there, I knew I had put in the work. Yeah. So, what advice would you give to someone who came to you? Because one of the things that I hear a lot from women I work with is, you know, oh, I hate this because I should have had this figured out by now. Or I should have been here at a certain, it should have been where I thought I was supposed to be by this age. Like you were saying, you know, what if I'm not married by 26 or whatever, whatever the should have, you know, is. What advice would you give to that person? Uh, it just doesn't work at your timetable. It just doesn't. You know, it's like... Well, you, you should be, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. Come on. You know, it doesn't happen. It happens in a certain, you know, it's like, it happens at different times for different people, you know? And is there a manual that says, you know, like I'm very good at algebra, you know, because it's one step, boom, 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 one step after another. But that's not life. On life, you get curveballs, you know? If I turned around, okay, let's, let's look at things. All right. I, um, I built 80 townhouses in Bill Ricker. I made a ton of money. I owned a golf course. I had it all, you know? So now, if I still had that and I didn't have the setback that I did after that, I wouldn't be the person that I am today, which is a much better person than I was then. Mm. At that time, I, everybody was coming. You know, I had one woman that was running my golf course say, it's Rocco's world. We just get to live in it. And I believe that crap. And it's crap. It's not Rocco's world. It's not anybody's world. You know, now, if I didn't have any failures and I continued to move up and up and up, I would have a lot more money, but I wouldn't be as good a person as I am today. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there was a young man that, you know, died at 51 years old. Uh, his name was um, Joe Germano. Okay. And... Um, and Joe wasn't a bad kid. I really didn't like him at the end, you know, and, and stuff. And I think there was issues that he had maybe with whatever. You know, I don't want to tell his story, you know. And he died, and um, and I knew the Germano family were going to destroy his wife. And um, 
And I reached out to her, even though I didn't know her, because I, I knew she had two children, and I knew that they were going to destroy her, and she's become probably my best friend. Mm -hmm. and, and, and she was so naive, God bless her. Uh, they don't, they like me. I said, they hate you. They were trying to destroy her, and they came close to it. They took a lot of her money that she felt was, should have been hers and her children's, and it didn't work out. And I was able to be a friend, mm -hmm. okay, because I knew that she needed somebody. And everybody thought that it was like I was trying to uh, go out with her because she's younger than I am, and it, it was never an issue. As a matter of fact, she just met a really wonderful guy that I really like, and I told him, I said, I was joking around with her today, he's an attorney. He was her original attorney and told her the truth, and then she fired him to go with someone that lied to her. And I, I says, Ron, by the way, I says, he's such a nice guy, Krista, and I says, it's too good for you. you know? She says, you're such a jerk. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm able to be a friend today. I'm able to, and this all comes from failures. Mm -hmm. It comes from a success here and there. And anybody that turns around and looks at their success and say that they had a lot to do with it, I don't know. Sometimes you just get lucky, yeah. you know. But I work hard. Yeah. I work hard. Very yeah, you hard. do. Very hard. And, and in spite of it mattering to other people or something to prove to other people, I think it's always been an internal process for you, an internal journey of it, you, you've, the only person you're trying to prove something to is yourself. Correct. Yeah. Like, I look at things that, like, what you think of me is none of my damn business. I, I quote you, you know, all the time on that. You know, it's none of my damn business what you think of mm. me, you know? It's what I think of me. Now, does that mean that 100% of the time I go, well, I don't care. I know I'm the best. I know I'm enough. I know I'm this. And it doesn't, of course it matters what people think. If You know, if especially if I like somebody, you know, I just had an episode where my engineer stuck it to me, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, and it bothers me, even though I know he's not a very good person, you know, and to say, well, I don't care. It, it always matters. You, look, who doesn't want to be liked? Right. You know, who gets up in the morning and says, who wants to be hated? And you raise your hand, you know. Uh, I remember my son coming to me and saying, I says, do you want everybody to like you? And he said, yeah. I says, well, become a failure. Then everybody mm. will like you, mm. you know. And I try to like not look at it that way, but it's like everybody wants to be liked. And anybody that says, I don't care what anybody thinks of me, is full of crap, mm. okay? Everybody cares what somebody thinks of them. Yeah. You just can't let it be obsessed with it because you are what you are. And, and you got to look at yourself and say, yes, I'm, I'm a good person. I keep, I keep my side of the street clean. And what they think of me is none of my business, you know? But it's a very, people say, oh, that's easy. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. It's no way is it easy for you to turn around and say, I don't care what that person thinks. Look, I work at the golf course, you know, you, with your mother over there. And I like being pleasant to people. You know, I do want, I do want them to say, and people come over and go, you are the best. You are such a good person. And you know something? That makes me feel good. Yeah. And if I do something nice for somebody, I let somebody play, don't tell your mother this, but I let somebody on the golf course for nothing one day, and the guy goes, you're very nice, you're, you know, you're this, you're that, you know, and he wanted to give me money for it, and the guy could well afford it. One was Dr. Bader, who's one of the leading, you know, the COVID-19. Mm -hmm. No, no, please take it. I says, you're not taking my good deed away, because then it's no, it makes me feel good mm -hmm. to do something nice to something, to hold the door for somebody, mm -hmm. as simple as, you know, telling some nice woman, you know, please allow me to hold this door. Mm. It's a nice thing. It makes me feel good that this person, I could give a little bit of sunshine to somebody, you know? Beautiful. But I also have people that, you know, I'm a horrible driver, and I know I'm going to sound a little bit racist, but I'm not. And, um, and you know, there's nothing worse than being yelled at by a lovely Chinese woman who calls you, you are the worst driver in the world, you are terrible, and, and she was swearing at me, and she was a very nice woman. And she was picking on me because I was a terrible driver. I'm going to let you in on something. Your three-year-old granddaughter watched you pull out of the driveway the other day. And she said, he drives so slow. So even she notices it. My 88-year-old father at the time went back as I was driving in Florida and said to my mother, boy, does he drive slow. I'm not in a hurry. 
People behind me, they don't want to wait. Don't wait. Oh my gosh! You know? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Yeah. Because talking about you're a father to three, two daughters, myself included, and a son. Tell the audience right here, who do you think is the most confident out of the three of us? Um, the most confident? I don't think any of you are confident. <laughs> what? I think that. Maria comes off as the most confident, but she really isn't. She's got a lot of insecurities that mm. I see. Mm. Angelo um, um, comes off probably the three. He's, he's probably the most confident out of the three. Mm. You uh, have the most, uh, you probably are the best of the three when it comes to like what you want, what you want to do. You've got great work ethic and everything. But you have too many insecurities in yourself. Mm. And that's just my own opinion. Could I be Fair wrong? point. No, you're, I, I really can't disagree with you. You, know, you look, you know, you should be looking. I, when I look at you, I see an unbelievable human being. I see someone that is so good at their job, so hardworking, and I've never seen anybody beat themselves up worse than you. And, you know, and, and, and it's like you allow people to... Uh, like your, your siblings bully you a little bit too much, and you should tell them, stick it. <laughs> Screw. You're idiots. Yeah. You know, but... Um, now, growing up, though, so, you know, did you see the makings of, you know, that hard journey with, with us girls, me and Maria, around confidence and self-esteem, and did it look different for Angelo, do you think? Um... You know, people think that, um, I think all of you struggled with, with uh, insecurities, mm -hmm. okay? Um, you got the worst of me, because mm -hmm. I was, you the oldest, and I, you know, I was a kind of a shithead for a while, you know, and, um, and then Maria had her own issues, and I was able to be there for her. Angel got the best of me, because... You know, I came back into his life when he was 11, um, you know, and, um, you know, and I went to ball games with him because it was something I was interested in. But he had a lot of insecurities. Mm -hmm. You know, he started hockey late and he was actually terrible and then became good. He was obsessed at showing everybody how much better he was. Than he that. was also the class clown. He was a class clown. Mm -hmm. and I remember him coming to me and then like he didn't think that I watched any Cosby episodes and he says, you know, when he was messing up in school, he came crying to me. Well, maybe that's the best I can do. I said, Angelo, I saw that episode in the Cosby's, okay? That's not the best you can do. You're an imbecile. <laughs> and I remember when I wanted him to stay back because he, um, he um, um, you know, was too young for the grade and stuff. And the idiots at Middleton School said, well, you know, he's got A D's through A's. I said, the A is in phys ed. Angelo, you know how to get dressed. Very good. He knows how to put his uh, shorts on. You know, but um, but he went from being the class clown and a total shithead, mm -hmm. you know, and then I went, he went to Linfield, Linfield schools. He progressed enough that he went to a private school, became student body president. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, and I realized how smart he is now because he, he works along with me in so many ways, but... I don't tell him what to do. I let him make his own decisions mm -hmm. because, you know, I really know, he, you know, it's like, and he's actually gotten better than me in the building part of the business because me, I can't stay in one place for more than 25 minutes. You know, I have to move around and he's willing to stay and yeah. he's uh, a lot brighter than I ever thought, thought he was. I have to say in this today, though, in this moment that I think you minimize sometimes the ways that you were still there for me. Because it's not only you were a shithead, you know, because who was there at my gymnastics meets? Oh, you were awful. I was horrible. Oh, my God, you were so bad. But you, but you were standing there. I was so bad. I think, I, I think at the end of the, of the one season I, I competed in, I, I, my top score was a 5.3. <laughs> well, you averaged 4.8, and the lowest score you could get was a 5. But... Equally, don't cut yourself short because you were just as bad a, so a softball <laughs> player too. 
I mean, your way of catching a softball was waiting for it to stop rolling and pick it up. Yeah, I know. You I'm know. aware. So I used to tell the people, where's your daughter? She, oh, she's a son of Fielder. Okay. No, I didn't do that. No, but I mean, even even the spelling bee, you, you, were, you were just as competitive in that oh, as... Oh, you, as... you were a great speller, I got to add. No, no, you were good at that. You were good at Listen, school. sports weren't my thing. Academics, I yeah. crushed. No, you, you and I remember, and I was not proud of myself. You'd you'd spell the word correctly, and I'd be yes, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's this poor kid was over there, miss it, miss it, you <laughs> son of a bitch, miss it. All right, and when the girl missed it, I went, yes. You know, I I mean, I'm not proud of that moment. You know, I'm rooting against eleven and twelve year olds for them to fail. And to feel bad, they would come out. Listen, cry. they would come back crying and go. <laughs> the spelling bee was 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 competitive. People don't get how bad it got. Awful, awful. It was terrible. How did those poor kids put into that? And then it's they would start crying, and I'd go. <laughs> and then that was me in the hallway, and I I still remember to this day letting out the most intense cry, and you were in the hallway with me. So I don't think that you can minimize those moments well thank you it's very kind yeah. of you to say but yeah um i still you know um but i think today i mean okay so not to cut you off but okay there were some not great moments but what is our relationship together today oh it's terrific yeah it's terrific i have great relationship with all three of my children you know the your younger sister is just a bitch to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you you know i remember someone said oh i met your daughter what a sweetheart. I says, where'd you meet Dina? She lives in Washington, D.C. She goes, no, your daughter Maria. I said, no, no. <laughs> you got the wrong person. We each have our personalities, yeah. for sure. I remember joking around. She says, a girl that I know, this girl Elise, Maria attractive girl, but nutty as a bed bug. And I said, you know, Maria, I'm thinking of asking Elise out on a date. She says, yeah, like I would let you go out with her. You know, I mean, you know, I used to get told not what to do by my parents. Now it's my children, you know. <laughs> But, uh, That's Maria. She always knows what's right. No, I'm absolutely blessed. I have three children that love and respect me. My, you know, I don't want to mention who it is, but another person I know, they, their children just constantly take advantage of. Mm -hmm. You know, my children don't do that. Yeah, they don't want me to work. They they says, don't worry about it. We got you know, it's I do it because I think it's the right thing to do, and not because, you know, I'm very fortunate. I'm blessed. Your mother. Is this wonderful human being, even though she's the biggest pain in the neck that I've ever met. But uh, she has my best interest at heart, yeah. you know, and we're, we're best of friends, you know. Um, my three children, I mean, I couldn't pick three better kids, you know. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm blessed. You know, I had wonderful parents. I got wonderful uh, brother, you know, two sisters that are great. Um, I got it all, you know. I, I you know, um, I'm very fortunate in, in the way I grew up and the way... Things then things could have turned out a lot worse, you yeah. know. And I think you know we we you grew up in Massachusetts, East Boston, raised three kids in Massachusetts, and and are very involved in the community here. And not everyone can say the same thing of the journey that you've been on, and and still be here I'm to still tell. I'm trying it. to figure out my journey because uh, I couldn't even tell you how I was able to bounce back. Financially, I have no idea. I just kept working and working and working, and, and it's it's turning out okay, you know. And um, but that's my success. The way I feel is that I've got you children looking at me in in a respectful way. I just turned in a guy um, that I don't even like. The guy he taught me the building business. Uh, his name is whatever doesn't matter, and I turned his family in. For elderly abuse and and you came in as I was waiting and I'm not gonna one hour and 20 minutes to get on the line I don't even know how you had the patience you but know, it, it's because, a testament because it was the right thing to yeah. do it's not that difficult to do the right thing it really isn't and I don't like the guy but the way he's being treated by his family that they're waiting for him to die is is appalling you know and yes he didn't see my father taught me character Dominic taught his children money and it's coming back to haunt him because that's what they're thinking of they don't want to go spend money on him because then there'll be less for them to pick up you know and um you know i'll be forever grateful to my mother and father you know and i remember uh, this easter i had a long conversation with them 
and my sister Maria, who's basically a bitch, says that they answer you, you know, and uh, and, and and I and I had a good conversation and told them how thankful I was that they were always there for me. And my picture on my phone is my mother and father, you know. I mean, I'm blessed, absolutely blessed, and it's got nothing to do with whether I make money or I don't make money. I'm blessed because I have wonderful people around me that I care about, and and just I'm just lucky. Yeah. And your grandfather now twice. Twice, and my um, yeah, my granddaughter is um, just like my youngest daughter. Very aggressive at best. I'm trying to put it in a nice way. Um, and, and someone uh, to carry on your namesake. And then I got my my son who, you know, I adore. You know, when he got married, asked me to be the best man, which, you know. And I told him, you didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. He says, I know I don't have to. And then um, named his son after me, which is an Italian tradition that's not carried on very much. But, you know, I was, I was proud of it. But if it was a daughter, if, if he had two daughters, like, I remember people says, oh, you want, after you were born, says, oh, oh, another daughter, you must be disappointed. It's no. Oh, my God. Not disappointed at all. And if the third one was a girl, I wouldn't be disappointed. Gotta love the 80s. <laughs> so, I want to, you know, in, in terms of this conversation, kind of close it here with, a question of just you know what you think after all this everything we've been talking about do you think that the journey to enough to feeling enough what do you think about it um, in the context of the work that I do in the context of this conversation I think you're gonna be very successful in your journey to uh, am I enough okay mm -hmm. the only thing is that you keep striving and you are enough. You, mm -hmm. you automatically are enough right now. Right. But you're not going to feel you're enough as long as you try to improve every day. You get confidence. You know me. When I tell you, when you do things that, you know, like I don't agree with, and I always tell you, you know the answer. Do you have enough courage to accept that answer? Yeah, I hate that advice. I know. That's why I keep giving it to you. <laughs> but it, it, it is. You know the answer. I, the only time I didn't know the answer is that Maria was, uh, you know, involved in problems and stuff like that. I said, Maria, tell me the truth. And I didn't know the, I knew the, I said, I already know the answer. Did you take cocaine? She goes, yes. I says, I knew it. I didn't have any proof. You came back negative, by the way. <laughs> oh, she was so angry. <laughs> I can't believe I squealed on myself. But... We know the answers. Are we willing to accept it? We know our deficiencies. Are we willing to work on them? Yeah. Okay. And um, are you enough? Yes. I'm enough. But for me to believe it yeah. is the difficult part. Right. You know. That's not, the greatest distance. Yeah. You know. So what you do, you strive a little bit more and a little bit harder. You work a little bit harder. And you start feeling it. Like I, I feel... Like it says, I'm better today than yesterday, but not as good as tomorrow. It just keeps getting better. All right. So when I asked you on the podcast, you said you were going to soar. The the downloads were going to soar to what? 100,000 people? Oh, absolutely. Easy. I mean, come on. Let's get serious here. So I mean, who wouldn't want to listen to my story? Come on. So we'll, can we have you back on the podcast? Well, how much money do you have? <laughs> we're going to have to talk about that. I'll take $10. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, I have so much faith in you, okay? that you are gonna be successful with this, okay? Um, you know, will it take a month, will it take two years? I don't know what it'll take. I definitely asked you that that exact question a couple weeks ago. Dad, how long is it gonna take? If we knew, I'd be gone. Yeah. You know, and... Entrepreneurship is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire absolutely. life. Absolutely. Look, anybody that dares to be great is gonna go through tough times. Yeah. And do you know Henry Ford um, went bankrupt before? I did not know that. Yes, he did. A lot of successful people. Well, he's not very successful. Donald Trump went bankrupt just to not pay people. Right. You know, but uh, that's for another day. <laughs> but uh, are you enough? Yes. Yeah. When will you believe it? That that's the that's the mystery. Yeah. I'm getting there though. 
Okay. A little more every day. I had a gentleman when I was first getting sober, and we'll end it with that, is that he, he taught me a lot, you know, and a guy probably doesn't even remember my name. He says, yesterday's a canceled check. Tomorrow's a promissory note. Live for today, my man. Live for today, because today is cash, cash money. money. <laughs> if you can tell, my dad tells these stories over and over. The beauty of it is they're ingrained in my head. So, and they're all true, I'm I know. I know. Thank you so much for this. Well, thank you for asking me. Yeah, love you. Love you too. Hey, friend. Thanks for listening. I know there are a ton of podcasts out there. So the fact that you check in with this conversation means the absolute world to me. So I hope that you will join us each week, every Thursday, when a new episode drops. Because really, we're just here having a conversation, looking for new ways to test out how to show up as our confident, badass selves. Because when you think about it, it's all one big experiment, right? Your life can be the lab. You get to find your answer and what feels good for you. If you walk away from this podcast with one thing, let it be you feeling inspired. Inspired to take bold, empowered action on the things that really matter to you. So check the show notes and learn how you can stay more connected with all of the exciting things that Enough Labs is doing. And be sure to rate and review this podcast. You know I live for feedback because this podcast is just one of the many experiments that I am having a blast trying out with. And I'm just here to continue to remind you every week to never stop embracing how enough you already are. Thank you.